Hello and welcome to 90 Min's Definitive European Power Rankings, where we talk about the 10 best teams on the continent. Joining myself, Sean Walsh, is 90 Min's editorial creative lead, Jack Gallagher. Jack, we're up to episode five. We are, Sean, and uh, good good speed reading this week. Um, full disclosure, <laughs> it, it took a few takes, but we got <laughs> It was really bad this week. <laughs> But we got there. That that was a good one. So it was that was a good one. And maybe we do need to consider maybe taking out at least one word from the title because it is a long, wordy title. So it is Sean, isn't it? Yeah. If we ever do live shows next season, I'm, we can't do it like this. I'm not. I'm not re- reading out the title <laughs> the way that it is. Too many words. Uh, too many syllables. Too many words yeah. close together. Yeah. But you know, we're here for now anyway. So we'll also yeah. batter on with what we got so far. Yeah. So. It's been it's been a long week since we last really caught up on all things football like uh, we, would, been... we did the, we did our meeting yesterday about the teams that were going to go into it and it just felt like we'd, we'd missed like three weeks of action rather than one week yeah it's because like there was just so many games that mattered the past week mm. so there was mm. and so many games that would fluctuate these ratings the main ones being the the champions league semi-final first legs yes yeah which we'll and, it, and when you get to this stage of the season it feels like Every day is like a week, I guess. Like it's May twelfth today. It feels a bit more like May twentieth. It does. It does. It feels like the volume of football that's been going on see since the start of April. Like those um, Premier League manager and player of the month awards came out today, and Unai Emery won it for Villa, and it said that he won five of seven games in April. Five of seven. Seven like, games. That's Aston Villa. They're not they weren't on any cup competitions. That's just Premier League football in one month. So it's been a busy month and this past week has been as busy as any week in the Premier League season so far. Yeah, it's been a really, really big week. And maybe that's a good place to start. We'll start with Aston Villa, I guess, Jack, because they are not going to be on our top ten this week, which is a real shame. Brings them to one of the more fun runs that we've had in the power rankings. Yeah, one of the more uh, surprising runs as well, I would say. Mm. They were brilliant for quite a while there. I've tailed off slightly in recent weeks. They have um, the defeated Wolves, obviously quite poor, considering how quite poor Wolves are as a football team. And they were really poor. I watched the United game. They were quite poor in that game as well. And especially when you see the results that United have had since that game as well. It's, yeah, I was thinking this. Yeah, It looks worse then, so it does, doesn't it? It is, yeah. They, I think for my beloved Spurs, this is a good time to face them this weekend. So I'm actually quite confident when not that we're going to win, but I don't think that we're going to lose. I think that there's there's a slight edge to the team now. I thought that oh, we beat Crystal Palace one 0 last week. I was there, and it wasn't pretty. But you know, Ryan Mason was trying out a new system where it was like a three at the back morphing into a four four two with Emerson and Poro on the same side. And it was kind of it was a nice bit of ingenuity, a way to get them both on the same pitch. And we completely shut down every threat that Palace had, which is good. And Roy Hodgson did a good job there. So that was quite promising for us. So I'm looking forward yeah. to this weekend. Yeah, I do backies. I do backies. Are you going to the game, Sean? No, I'm going to be at Chelsea versus Nottingham Forest on Saturday at the same time. Hopefully, hopefully that's good. Yep. Bit, yeah. bit of mayhem either way. And then I'm at Brentford West Ham on Sunday as well. So busy weekend. It's a pity Chelsea went safe there recently because that would have been a great delegation <laughs> six pointer between Chelsea and Nottingham Forest. Bloody Bournemouth, you know. I know. <laughs> so <laughs> annoying. They were playing so well up until that game was on and they dropped the stinker. An absolute they clanger. They were our ones to watch, you know. Yeah, yeah, they were. Yeah. Not anymore. Not anymore. Yeah. Um, anymore. In terms of all their teams who've dropped out, Sean, we have your beloved Real Sociedad. You were very My high beloved. on them last week, but what mm. happened this week, Sean? What happened this week is they simply did not play any games and yeah. there was a bit more movement around them. It's no, it's no fault of their own. If they w- were to win this weekend, they might come back in. But, you know, I'm, not, I'm sure the people of San Sebastian are up in arms about this. Yeah. I Football moves quickly. Play. And when we're yeah, talking exactly. about there now, uh, how many games that were played over April and through May as well, the fact that they had a week off, that's just mm. pure laziness. That's pure laziness. <laughs> Some of our teams out there playing two games a week. Yeah, come on, get a life. Yeah, much like Derry City here playing on Friday and then on Monday. You know, is this an Irish league thing? Is it happens all the time? It is, it is, and it's kind of ridiculous, but I do kind of love it as well because I love the Friday night kickoffs because it's like there's no other football that might get in the way. There's no other good mm-hmm. football getting in the way. Even the Friday night games in the Premier League, they're usually quite 
crap games. It's usually Leicester City for some reason. Uh, whereas, you know, yeah. I have the whole Irish League on this on the Friday. And then when you get to Monday as well, the Monday Night Football, there hasn't been many great Monday Night Football games over the past while either. So it's just, it's a nice day to go and watch some terrible football as well in person instead of <laughs> on the TV. That's true. The best games do happen on the weekend. Uh, I actually went to Watford versus Stoke on the bank holiday Monday. This oh, week. yeah, you were saying. How did that go? <laughs> Was that Phil Jagielka's last game? It was Phil Jagielka's last game for Stoke, at least. He's 40. It, he kind of teased that he's going to go to a new club. I don't know. He was actually probably the best player on the pitch. So I was quite impressed. It's pretty sad for <laughs> everyone still doing that. in that game. Yeah. Um, people wondering why I was at this game. I have a friend who sports Stoke, so a few of us went. To, it was their last game of the season. So I thought, Watford's not hard to get for us. So went down there. Is he, is really bad game football. Stoke? He's from Stoke, yeah. Okay, that's okay. Because if you weren't <laughs> from Stoke and you supported Stoke... Yeah, he's not like a London Stoke fan or anything. So yeah. how could you be? It wouldn't make yeah, sense. It was, it was, yeah. It was, you're it not exactly strange. yeah. You're not exactly sporting a team because they've got like good football heritage and a philosophy. <laughs> they don't talk about yeah. the Stoke City way or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. At least he's from I think, there. I think we've talked about Stoke enough on this podcast for forever, maybe. Hopefully. I don't want to be you never know. Stoke Stranger hopefully things not. have happened. Hopefully yeah. not. Happened. Yeah. Hopefully not. Um, the last team to drop out are Marseille, who we were quite high on last week. They drop out of 10th, and we will talk about who they've been replaced by. Um, but their eight-match winning run, unbeaten run, sorry, came to an end. Um, there was a real kind of week-long saga where, because PSG were in such a crisis, they lost to Lorient. Um, Messi got suspended. It was conceivable that they could have ended the weekend only three points behind PSG and, you know, maybe a title race. It would only take one more PSG slip-up. You can't rule it out. But they kind of disappointed. Yeah, they ended up down to third in the league. And they got replaced in second place and in number 10 in our rankings by Lons. Mm. We have now... Incredible. They're one of those teams that we didn't probably think at the start of the season we would ever talk about. Or ever have to work out how they say their name? It's long they weren't in the lens. I might. I'll say that. Yeah, they weren't. They weren't even until quite recently. They weren't, and then they went. They went and beat Monaco three 0 the other week, which I remember seeing mm. um, when I was scrolling through football for scores and was like, okay, that's a bit of a that's a bit of a result. And then they went and followed that up with another one, and then at the weekend they were playing second versus third place. They were in third place. They were playing Marseille, and they beat them two one, and. They're one of those teams that maybe people should maybe keep an eye on. Maybe if they're flicking through the channels on a Sunday mm-hmm. or whatever, two o'clock, just before the the good half four kickoff starts in the Premier League, just flick over and see maybe if lawns are on and if we've got a league on footballs on because a lot of our players have been really really heavily linked with a lot of Premier League clubs recently. Uh, we did a report there at the start of the week, which insane mm-hmm. at the start of the week that feels like I wrote that article. <laughs> Ago, but yeah. it was only the standing, it was only Tuesday. Um, but yeah, we did a report where um, there's a number of clubs, number of Premier League clubs, um, looking at their best players. Um, the main one, the main three being uh, Seku Fana, who people might remember from I think he was at Southampton on loan for a while a few years ago. Was he? And I think he was, I'm pretty sure he was. I, I gotta check that. Yeah, um, I had a really funny, um, Twitter interaction around. Well, I wasn't involved in it actually. I was just mentioned in all the things I was telling you about <laughs> this. this story. Story, yeah, this is a good story, Taylor. Um, one of the uh, Liverpool aggregators. So Liverpool are one of the teams that were scouting. And as you know, Liverpool are linked to a lot of midfielders. Pretty much any midfielder you can think of, Liverpool have been linked to. Um, one of them is Seiko Fofana. And a guy replied to the Tweet saying that he thought Seiko Fofana is too old. Seiko Fofana is 28. I'm 28, so I took great offense to that, but not enough to reply <laughs> in any way. Um, some other child decided to reply in my stead, and they proceeded to have a big, big, big scrap on Twitter that lasted like three days, which I was quite impressed by. Like, it would have been there would have been a tweet about this guy smoking this other guy, and then 18 hours later, there'd be another one telling the boy to come to Nottingham to go to his kickboxing class so he can beat the head off him and stuff like that. So it was it was a fun week um, on Twitter, so it was as pair. And it all centered around Lance, who, uh, yep, Seiko Fofana has been linked with Liverpool. Another player that Liverpool are quite keen on, apparently, and we're scouting is Kevin Danso, the big centre half. They have the best um, defensive record in the league, mm. so they do this season. So 
you know, there must be someone behind that. And Kevin Danso appears to be the guy behind that. And also, um, I seen on Instagram the other day when we posted our player rankings for April, I seen a few shouts for uh, Lewis Openda. And to be fair, we, we, we might have overlooked him. And he might be a guy who's could be in it um, the next time. He scored the winner at the weekend. Um, he has scored 19 goals in Liga this season. And he scored four in his last three games for them. So I want to keep an eye out as well on. Uh, the report was that Arsenal were also keeping an eye on him. Uh, they seem to be looking for another number nine option moving on the next season because they only have Gabby Jesus really up there. And he could be a guy that comes in, does a good job, he's quite young, thinks he's only 23 or 24. So, yeah, if you're flicking around the channels on Saturday or Sunday and lawns are on, maybe take a wee look because... You might see some players that you might be watching a wee bit more regularly next season. Mm. Their manager, Front Cage, has always been linked to kind of the mid-table Premier League jobs whenever there's been vacancies this season, and there's been quite a few of them. Um, yeah. Just to follow up on the the players, um, Kevin Danzo is the one that you're thinking of that was at Southampton. Oh, but, that's who it was. But yeah. Seku Fofana, I've completely forgotten this. He started out in Man City as a youth player. He was on loan at Fulham in their first season in the Championship in 2014-15. And they were they were not very good. I think they, if anything, were closer to relegation than promotion. Um, spent a couple of years just out on loan. He went to Udinese in 2016 and then to London in 2020. I believe he was the player who, at the start of the season, signed a contract extension on the pitch in front of all the fans. Like he did, he kind of, yeah, that yeah, was him. Him. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's a real connection. He is considered one of the best players in Ligue 1. I saw him linked to PSG a couple of times last year. Um. It just seems like he's a really good player. And they ha- they've had good players over the last couple of years. Um, Chick Decore went to Crystal Palace this season. Mm-hmm. Palace fans I know rave about him. They think he's been their best player of the season. And then Lewis Appenda. Um, I was out last night with someone who works on the 90 French team, Conton. And he was raving about him. He was saying, this guy is the next best striker. If, you- if there is a Premier League team who needs a striker, Appenda is the guy. He's got kind of all the attributes to really succeed in England to succeed anywhere basically but he really believes that that is the player that's going to be that's ready to go boom basically oh interesting one to keep an eye out then for for sure mm. maybe Man United they need a striker maybe Spurs <laughs> need a striker we're not going to that we're not going to that yeah <laughs> okay should we move on to number nine Jack let's do it let's do it they let us down big time they let themselves down as well yeah. um at number nine, it's down three this week after I think they went down four or five the week before as well. So they haven't had a good few weeks. It's AC Milan. And in our notes um, for this entry, it just says Raphael injury equals bad AC Milan. And that's pretty much what happened. They won at the weekend, um, but Raphael went off injured after like 11 minutes. There was a yeah. lot of talk to and forth whether or not he was going to play or not. Um, turns out that a last minute. Um, fitness test wasn't fit enough to play wasn't fit enough to even make the bench and oh my god <laughs> this year the difference that one <laughs> footballer makes to that club literally they go from a semi-final Champions League team to a round of 32 Conference League team with yeah. missing one player they just had they were devoid of ideas they looked really devoid of confidence as well without him and You've seen every single player who's played well um, in this run to the Champions League semi-final just looked slightly less good. The team, they weren't able to stretch play because Rafael wasn't there with his pace. uh, Teo Hernandez didn't have enough space because there wasn't someone in front of him who was um, taking up a lot of the time of the rest of the defence. And yeah, they just, they weren't impressive. They got conceded two really really early on probably should have been four or five down at half time and yeah. their performance improved slightly in the second half with Di Fakariki came on but I think that's the the issue for AC Milan is the drop off between Rafa Leao and any other option that can play in his position is maybe the starkest in any top European club around mm. right now he is so definably their best player and without him they're hammered basically and it looks like that two goal lead. I think the next the next leg will be really, really good and really, really interesting. But it does feel like two is slightly too many. So it does. 
it's definitely too many if Liao's not playing. Yeah. And that would be really kind of decisive. And I think the the you said there about the drop off in quality, especially up front. Did Inter ever look worried at any point? I don't remember Onana really making a save where it wasn't straight at him. Like it was so flat. It... Um I would do I do wonder, because sometimes there was so much hyped for the game and I was so excited. I was I was way more excited for this than I was for the Real Madrid Man City game because we've seen that already. We haven't seen a Derby de la Madonina in the Champions League in years and years. Um, I do wonder, maybe, maybe, if playing at home first, having the fans in such a kind of frenzy, everyone was saying um, it was one of the best atmospheres ever. And watching on BT Sport, they kept mentioning every five seconds. Um <laughs> I wonder if that feeds into into starting so well because Milan were just a bit kind of they were lost in their own heads because you do there are games sometimes where it, the atmosphere is too loud, especially for the home team, and it works against you rather than for you. I think it's quite it's quite easy to say now that <laughs> that's happened, but I do think that might be a factor as well. Yeah, well, you've seen a lot of players that you would have bet your house on at least being like a 7 out of 10 in that game. Yeah. The main ones yeah. being like Fikayo Tomori, who had a howler. Simon Kier had a yeah. howler as well in the moment. Yeah. Uh, Sandra Tanai started really, really slowly as well. I know Ben Esser yeah. picked up that injury quite early on, but before that, he was a complete disaster too. And when those players are being kind of overawed by it and not performing to their usual standards, then you are going to struggle big time. And yeah, that, that definitely could have been a reason. Look, they've They've played in these, like played in big games before. They've played in front of big crowds and stuff before. They've played in played in big, big Derby della Madonnas before. But that atmosphere was just up and all or notch and up and all our level. That you'll probably there's not a lot of footballers ever that will play in an atmosphere like that. And it's it is understandable for teams to get overwhelmed by that. Yeah, and I think you mentioned there Tamori and Kia. I have no idea where that came from. They looked like they were concussed the whole time. They, the, they the, the, so the clip bad. of for the for the penalty that was eventually um, rescinded, where the shot of Tamori makes the slide tackle and he's com- completely facing the wrong way up there with um, Lisandro Martinez running away from Mosella. It's kind of the images of the season. <laughs> Just uh, I felt and I can't, I felt bad for him as well because there was been a lot of media pieces particularly in England over the last couple of weeks uh, he had a big interview in the Times after he reached his 100th appearance for Milan he got honoured by Paolo Maldini at the training ground and he was all this talk you know you get the pre-match interviews is he is it going to be coming to the England squad um, go, the, the whole thing of going abroad and making that step that brave step and I'm not saying it's undone but it's kind of dented that kind of vision because I don't, it's going to take something. It's going to take a really good performance now in the next game that we see him to forget a howler like that, I guess. Yeah, I think one of the big issues for him as well is he knows as well as everyone else does that Gareth Southgate definitely doesn't watch him week to week. There's a, there's <laughs> yeah. a clear reason why he hasn't been in the squad and it's mm. because Gareth Southgate's not looking at his games and not assessing them. And instead, he's looking at Premier League games and assessing Premier League players. And that's been his main issue. So when you have a game like this where everyone's going to watch, and Gareth Southgate mm. probably did watch this match, and he sees that performance, that's his only, um, the only thing he can look at and show as an example of why Tomori is or isn't in the team. And if you just had that game, you would say, okay, Tomori's not in the team. But the issue with Tomori has been that all these other great games that he's had down the years, those other 99 performances that he's had at AC Milan mm. or whatever, um, they've been great and it's a pity that the big game, the biggest game of his career so far, he didn't really do himself justice but it's a learning curve for him too he is still quite young and we can, I would expect him to be much much better in a second leg and I'm quite interested mm. to see if Raphael isn't fit, I think he will be fit, I think Raphael will play the next leg, I don't think he'll be 100% himself I feel like just but he will just play Just yeah. it's not even out of you might not get him. He might not be the one scoring a goal and stuff, but just the presence that he has and mm. the fear that he um, sets in to the opposition team, just even just that small thing, intangible thing, can make such a big difference for them. Um, but if he doesn't play, 
then if it'll be interesting to see if they go to a three at the back and then Southgate might look and be like, okay, well, Southgate usually plays a three at the back for England. Let's see how mm-hmm. tomorrow he does the three at the back for AC Milan. Yeah, I was going to say, just to wrap a bow on this, I was going to ask, are you surprised they didn't go to three at the back? Because they did. They went three at the back twice against Spurs to match us up and it completely killed us. And I was really shocked to see that they went 4-2-3-1. I was surprised because Leal didn't play. So the whole reason why they play... Four two three one is because Leal wants to play it. He doesn't like playing in that three at the back formation. He doesn't like it. That's the reason, and that's one of the appeasement things that a team like AC Milan has to do in order to keep a guy like Rafa Leal happy. Because look, there's other teams that pay him more money. There's other teams who want them, as you know, and a lot has to be done to keep a guy like that at a club like AC Milan right now. As sad as that is, in comparison to twenty twenty five years ago. But yeah, when Leal didn't play, why not go to a three at the back? But also, there's the issue of like what I just said. It's not like explicitly said by Pioli. It's not explicitly said by Leal. It's something that's been reported and reported and reported. And it's one of those things where, you know, if he goes and jumps to a three immediately, then do people start saying this more out loud and asking Leal about like, why is he not willing to sacrifice for the team and stuff like that? And then it gets a wee bit touchy after that. So mm. an interesting like political line to kind of tread as well in a semi-final. But I would have went there three. It would have shored things up a bit, so it would for sure. Yeah, I didn't actually know that about Leal having that preference. So the more you know. It's an mm. educational podcast now. There you go, Sean. So, Sean, yeah. we've, we've chatted a lot about AC Milan there, I feel like. So we'll go over to another team who's also down quite a few places this week and they're from the Premier Mm. League and who is that Sean? We are talking about at number eight Jason Tindall's Newcastle United (laughs) (laughs) I love that meme we need to appreciate this meme now because in a week I'm probably going to be tired of it Mm -hmm. some great ones um, Newcastle have got uh, Leeds away this weekend and you know that I think Tindall's going to overdo it so Need to yeah. enjoy this while we can. To go up uh, against Allardyce, he will. <laughs> yeah. straight in there. For sure. And Eddie Howe um, said something about it in his press conference about yeah. it as well. Yeah. So it is acknowledged as well. And these jokes aren't as funny when they're acknowledged. And Tyndall's well yeah. aware of it. Apparently Tyndall was like showing Eddie Howe all the jokes and stuff and they were having a bit of crack with it. Which is really funny, but also, I don't know. I, I just don't want it to be like something that he knows about. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, have, I, have a fr- I have a friend who did um, say his running theory now is that Tinder was actually running the Twitter account himself, <laughs> which feeds into it so nicely. Um, okay. Enough about Tinder. We talked about him enough. This is exactly what he wants, but That's on the pitch, Newcastle, they didn't just let themselves down on the weekend. They let me down because they let Arsenal win two nil. And I guess we could talk about this as a pair. Newcastle down for, um, they got, they're in eighth place. Arsenal up to sixth. They're up two places. Let's go seventh, but they didn't play. So they non-movers. Um, I thought Newcastle started really well. They started the same kind of intensity they did against Man United and Spurs. I thought it was going to be another one of those days when, when Jacob Murphy hits the post after a minute, you're, you're thinking, okay, this could be a long day for Arsenal, particularly after um, their kind of collapses in recent weeks, particularly after they lost 2-0 at Newcastle last year, which ended their season. It seemed like it was ripe for that kind of narrative. And then Newcastle get a pen. You think, okay, that's... This is the start. This is where we're going now. The pen gets revoked. And I was mentioning this to you off air. When a when a team gets a VAR decision against them like this, whether that's they have a goal chalked off or a pen revoked or a pen given, that team always kind of stumbles. And it, the players don't really know what to do because it's almost like the kind of... It's a bit like a video game where... Some, there's like trigger points in games to kind of further scenes, further like the environments. You need to, for things to happen. Like you need to activate these in-game things. And it's almost as if Newcastle didn't know what the next trigger was. It was like they were stuck waiting for a pen to happen and to take place and it just never came. And Arsenal hit them. Erdegaard scores a really good goal from range. like goes right through Botman's legs and beats Nick Pope at the near post. And I think everyone in St. James's Park is really confused. And then Arsenal start turning it on. They play Newcastle their own game brilliantly. They're going right into these challenges. They're taking it as well. They're, they want to kind of be taken. Like Granit Xhaka um, 
was getting riled up a bit, but I think that it was part of his plan as well. He was trying to get in their heads. He was going right into these kind of confrontations. And Arsenal were wasting time. And Newcastle and the Tourists were being the biggest time wasters in the Premier League. And they never really recovered from that. They had a good period at the start of the second half where it hits the bar. Ramstad makes a really, really, really good save. But it always felt like the next goal was going to be Arsenal's. And it came through an own goal, but it was completely deserved. Yeah, that was, I think, I can understand why they were so down, especially with the way the goal went in. Mm. You know, like Arsenal weren't great up until they scored that goal. And the goal was just a moment, the sheer quality. And when you look at the chances and the high XG chances that Newcastle had before that and missed, and then Odegaard gets a ball from about 25 yards and skims it under Sven Botman's legs and right into the bottom corner. And it's like, what can we do in this situation? Well, this guy just pulled that out of the bag. And I can understand that. Arsenal, I thought, like you said, they're up the sixth this week. They're up two. Um, I thought they were very, very impressive in that game, the way they managed the game. It was the best that they were able to manage a game in quite a while. That's been their issue in this running has been their inability to manage games and their inability to lead from the front. Look, like we know two two goal leads that they give up in the space of a week. That's I would say pretty safely now is probably cost them a league when you consider what Man City are doing in the league right now. I'm still not counting about I'm too scared. Still not. <laughs> I think one one thing that I would look at uh, has been Arteta finally veering away from Rob Holden. I think he was very, very, very detrimental to that team, to be honest. And uh, taking him out of the team and QR in instead has made a huge difference. They look so much calmer at the mm. back and all. I think they have so many more level heads at the back. And look, they're missing out. Like we found out today that William Saliba and Alexander Sinchenko were going to be out for the rest of the season, which are big blows for sure. But, you know, Sleeper hasn't been there for a while. Um, they finally found some sort of a solution in the past few weeks with QR. And with Alexander Sinchenko coming out, they do have probably the best deputy fullback in the league in Kieran Tierney. And I know he doesn't play mm-hmm. that inverted yeah. role, but he is a quality player and he can still offer a lot for them going both ways. So I don't think it's the end of the world that Sinchenko's out. And it's not the end of the word Saliba's out because Saliba's been out for so long as well. And it didn't really feel like he was ever going to come back this season. But, you know, like looking looking at their games coming up and stuff, I do expect them to win pretty much every game moving forward. But the issue is that I also expect Man City to win every Premier League game moving forward too. And that might do them. But when you look at it, if they can win every game for the rest of the season, you look at how high their points tally is going to be. You look at the progression from last season. It'll end up, in a lot of ways, being a really, really great campaign for them. The only issue is that they have the memory of being top of the league for so long and giving up such a points difference. If he had him in going the other way and Man City had him in really, really far ahead and then they got to that points tie but just didn't quite match Man City at the end, then the narrative of the season changes and stuff, obviously. But, yeah, like looking forward, I think Arsenal are kind of starting to work it out a wee bit kind of starting to become a wee bit more savvy in a lot of ways. And they showed some ability to do that on Sunday, so they did, which they didn't before Sunday, really. Yeah, I mean, it was all kind of set up for them to for this to be the weekend where they properly lost the title, mm-hmm. where they were, if they had lost, then they would have been four points around City and City would still have a game in hand and that would have been curtains. But now there is a real chance that I, I do believe, as, as well as you, they will end with three wins, they're going to end on 90 points. It might not be enough. It probably won't be enough. I'm not completely writing off because I'm too scared like that. Um, <laughs> too tired of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah I've, I've seen this story too many times. Um, it, but um, the problem might be that 90 used to be a title-winning tally. Nowadays, it's more like 95. And yeah, 100%. That might, that might just be it, but there's it, a phenomenal kind of progression and a great mental hurdle they cleared as well. They... This first season in last year, it felt like all of the big games that they won this season, you kind of expected them to win. Like, and I think that's kind of that's more testament to how far they've actually come in the last two years. That I expected them to go to Chelsea and win. I expected them to beat Spurs home and away. I expected them to um, win at home against Man United. I expected them to beat Liverpool at home. 
they kind of failed at the Etihad. They failed at Anfield. This was really the big one then. And they went there with their chests out and they won. So fair enough. I think that would be something that stands them in good stead going into next season. Um, yeah. Newcastle, on the other hand, a little nervy now in the top four race. I think that they'll be fine just because they have the points on the board. And I don't think both Man United and Liverpool will leapfrog them. But it could have been a lot calmer going into the last bit of the season, for sure. Yeah, well, they have, let's see who they have here. They have Brighton this weekend, then Leicester, who they'll beat, and then final day, they're away to Chelsea. Probably should be. On paper, you'd expect them to beat everyone of those teams, especially after Brighton's result um, recently, where they got battered by Everton out of nowhere. So confidence can't be high there. And yeah, I I can see them as probably one a night as well. And look, Liverpool have been doing quite well recently. They've won, what, six on the trot in the league? Mm. Uh, United have not been great recently. I think Liverpool have so many points to kind of come up to get in order to catch Newcastle and United. I just don't think they look capable of winning out for no. the rest of the season, to be honest. They might win one game for the rest of the season, maybe two, but I don't think they're going to win the rest of the season. They just haven't been great recently at all. So, they haven't. so I think it's one of those ones where Newcastle have been the third best team in the league this season. And I think the table will show that come the end of the season. Yeah, I agree. Okay, let's move on. Let's move up to number five, where non-mover, Borussia Dortmund. Unfortunately for them, they're also a non-mover in the Bundesliga because Bayern Munich mm-hmm. got a late win. I think it was against, was against Hertha Berlin this weekend. They it beat. was, yeah. yeah. Late on, um, Borussia Dortmund won 6-0 against Wolfsburg. Really kind of comprehensive victory. Kind of a, more like a kind of feel-good. And just to say to Bayern, you know, we're still here. Bayern have a... Um, so they've got Schalke next, which I imagine Schalke... I know they're in a relegation battle, but I don't think it'll be one. Yeah, so it was Werder be... <laughs> at the weekend. So it was actually... It was, oh, it was Werder, it was Werder, you're right, yes. It was Werder. Last week, and then they beat yes. Werder this weekend. And then they have Schalke tomorrow on Saturday, half two kickoff. Then they have the big one, the really big one, yes. which is Leipzig. They have them at home, and then they're a weighty clone at the end of the season as well. So they are. So there is there is potential there for them to slip up for sure. Yeah, Leipzig are right in that top four mix. Mm-hmm. Um, and you you imagine that Dortmund will be? They might turn their stance on the anti-Leipzig stuff <laughs> if if just to get, just to get the sniff of that title, you know. Um, but I think I always, I always preach that. The best teams don't just win their games; they absolutely smash them. That's why my one of my reservations against Man United this season for all the progress they've made. They've never smashed anyone. They 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 were kind of pitiful goal tally and goal. And difference. they've been smashed quite a lot of times. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yes, yeah. yeah, so quite a red flag for me. Dortmund to go. I know it's like people will say, "Oh, it's the Bundesliga; everyone smashes everyone." But six 0 that's quite comprehensive. Um, I do want to talk well, about. Aren't a bad team either by any. No, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I do want to talk about. Um, Jude Bellingham's fluky, tricky goal, where <laughs> it he hits the bar and the ball flies into space, comes back down about 10 seconds later and then bounces over the line. Just when your luck's in, you know. Yeah, if that's not a sign that they're going to win the Bundesliga, well, it's they deserved anyway. some luck as well. So yeah, exactly <laughs> after last week with the penalty decision, they, they deserve oh, something. It's a pity the luck came when they were already, what, or 3 0 up at that point, 3 or 4 0 up at that point mm, when it went then. Yeah. But you know, a lot comes when it comes. That one, one goal that really impressed me was uh, the first goal, Karim Adiemi's header. Did not know mm. he could do that. Leapt like a salmon, <laughs> leapt about five feet in the air, headed it in, top corner. It was an amazing goal. And another wee Bodie has, uh, Fellerty has Bow that perhaps didn't think he had, and looking at young strikers, young attackers um, for the future. He's already kind of here as one of the better players in the Bundesliga, but in the world, definitely one to keep an eye out long term. Seems to be really progressing and really growing quite rapidly. So he has not really developed in his game quite fast. There is a big mm-hmm. leap from where he was playing before to Bundesliga football. And the fact that he's adapted so well and become one of the better players in the league quite quickly is definitely something not to be Mess with and forgotten about for sure. Yeah, and it has made me think because we talked about Daniel Marlon on the last couple of pods. He's come on a bit now as well. Adi Amy has really kind of kicked into gear. They've got Haller back, and he looks like his old self again. 
yeah, scored again. They're going to lose. Yeah, they're probably going to lose Bellingham for somewhere in the 150 mil range. There's probably scope for them to bring in two or three quality players and really gear up for another title challenge next season. The problem is that we say this kind of every year whenever they sell a big player and it never quite happens, but that's a lot of money. I know, I know Bellingham is kind of so integral to what they do, the energy that he brings. Um, it, some of that is maybe a little bit irreplaceable, but there is a there is a roadmap to going for another title challenge next season. Yeah, like they have like, I think when you look through their squad, they do have quite surprisingly impressive strength and depth. Like mm-hmm. if you look at the squad at the weekend, they had Sloterbeck on the bench, Rafa Guerrero on the bench, Anthony Modest, clone legend Anthony Modest on the bench, Royce <laughs> came off the bench, Gio Reyna came off the bench as well. There is depth there already, players. but when and but if you add like another hundred million onto that and, and build out that depth and also have a few more options for the middle of the park, because when you do look through their options, there's a lot of players you play. It's a lot of players you can play out wide and stuff. There's not a lot of players you can sit on that mid field and play. Like at the minute, I think they're playing Julian Brandt in the middle of the park when he's mm-hmm. naturally always been more of a wide player. And to be fair to Julian Brandt, he does kind of, he maybe more suits like physically suits the center of the park because of how bloody tall he is basically. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it could be one where they go out and send a couple of players. They're one of those clubs who have always had an eye for talent and really good talent. They've always yeah, been able to go absolutely. out and get players. Like even the Jude Bellingham example is a perfect example when they went to Birmingham City, um, <laughs> bought a player, like a team yeah. from Germany buying a team from Birmingham City. It doesn't really happen. Like you have yeah. to have really, really good scouting networks in place to see these guys as early as Dortmund do and go and sign these players. So definitely they're definitely always one in the summer for sure. when it feels like Bellingham's definitely leaving at this point. When mm-hmm. he does go, it's going to be interesting to see who they go out and replace him with. I would imagine they at least get one good player so they do that, that can fill in that hole. And yeah, he'll not be as good as Bellingham. I think it's going to be really hard to ever replace a guy like Bellingham, talent level wise. But you can get a good player in there who can fit the ball and do well for you for sure. Yeah. Um, exciting times for BVB ahead, I'm sure. Um, we'll quickly move on to number four, Barcelona, down one, didn't play this weekend. Uh, they should be champions of Spain by the end of the weekend. Um, they will be crowned La Liga winners if Real Madrid and Atletico drop points or if they win at rivals Espanyol on Sunday night. And you expect them to do that because Espanyol are 19th. Yeah, you would. Espanyol are a bad football team and Barcelona are a pretty good football team. So yeah. I would it really is as simple as that. Yeah, it really is. That's how, you, that's how simple football is sometimes. But yeah. It really is yeah. that simple. So we'll give Barcelona their flowers next week. Um, we'll come on to number three, re-entry, Real Madrid, who won the Copa del Rey last weekend and were quite impressive against Manchester City in the Champions League semi-final. We'll get on to that in a minute. I do want to start with the Copa del Rey final. They beat Osasuna 2-1. Um, that's largely why they're back in here. They're, they're now cup winners. There's something from this season, at least. I was not impressed by them, I will say. I thought this was... Osasuna put up a really good fight. Um, Real Madrid went ahead in the first minute uh, Vinicius ran to the byline cut it back, Rodrigo put it in that was a lot of, kind of Real Madrid's chance creation they conceded a thunderbolt in the second half to be fair, like not much we can really do about it and then the same combination Vinicius to Rodrigo for the winning goal but it didn't ever feel like Real Madrid had a real foothold in this game a lot of what they did was not playing through midfield. I thought kind of the, their veteran midfielders, the, the guys that usually rely on, were not up for this occasion. And it was a lot of Vinicius. He was up against um, John Monchiola, who is, I think he's naturally a midfielder, but he was playing at right back for some reason. And I don't know why he was doing that because he is very, very, very slow. And <laughs> he was getting absolutely torched by Vinicius all night. I gave Monchiola a two out of 10 in my player ratings. He was, <sighs> I felt bad for him. Like he, he must have been told in the week, you're going against Vinicius at the weekend. He was probably just like, what? Why? Why am I doing <laughs> this? Why, why, why? I, couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I think the plan was they, they played another guy at right mid. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. They played uh, someone Pena? at right mid. It might have Pena? been, yeah. yeah. It might have been. Um, at right mid. And I think the idea was that he was going to double up. Mm-hmm. And it just didn't really work like that. He kind of got dragged in the field a bit more. And so it was just 90 minutes of Vinicius 
running rings around him. He just and that was a rubbish game plan. I guess maybe that's you could flip that back the other way and say, okay, the best teams realize a team's weakness and will just default to that, especially when things aren't going well elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So I guess that kind of works for Real Madrid. They they were okay defensively. I thought Eden Militao had a really bad game. I thought he was all over the place. He kept giving the ball away. He was he, he was on another planet. And I thought it was quite telling that he had, he had to come out for suspension reasons, but Antonio Rudiger was so good coming into the starting lineup on Tuesday night. And it was a part of a big reason why Real Madrid are in this tie still. Um, it was 1-1 Vinicius with another banger, like another another amazing performance. And I want to talk, some, talk about him a little bit more, where his standing is. Um, but if I'm Real Madrid, I'm really disappointed that they didn't that you didn't kill the game. So am I, because I don't and we may say this as well. Now actually down the second in the rankings this week is Man City. I was not that impressed with in midweek. Look, they had a lot of the ball and stuff in the first half. There was a lot of like metrics that will say they dominated the first half, but for chance creation and how how slow their play was. It really played under Real Madrid's hands. It let Real Madrid, he looked a wee bit shaky at the start of the game, um, kind of let Man City have a lot of the ball through sheer losing possession so much early on in the game. And for Man City to let Real Madrid end up getting a foothold in a game like that instead of trying to really kill them, I think I was quite unimpressed with them and saying, yeah, really impressed with um, how Real Madrid managed the game and how they played. And it's a game, it's the sort of game that when Real Madrid play like that, they usually win by a few goals. Mm. And we talked about it with Odegaard's goal against Newcastle. The goal that Kevin De Bruyne scored is just what can you do in that situation? He plays so well. And then yeah. Kevin De Bruyne gets the ball and does like that Steven Gerrard style strike and the bottom yeah. corner. It's like sometimes just pure talent beats everything and trumps mm. everything. And that was one of those moments. Um, but yeah, overall, I was super impressed with Real Madrid. That's why, because I didn't watch the Copa del Rey final at the weekend, but I was quite surprised when you said that. And then also, and then when I actually thought about it, wasn't surprised because, like you said about the midfield, the issue with Real Madrid is that their midfielders are fantastic, but they are too old. And you can't get two great games out of them every single week. It's just not possible. Yeah. So, Looking at the Real Madrid lineup, then I think Chiamani played instead of Luka Modric in the middle of the park, and Kroos played. But I'm guessing Kroos just kind of dittered about a lot, and it yeah, feels like, and it feels like Kroos probably saving himself. They actively saved Modric because Chiamani started. But I do look at the Real Madrid midfield, and I do think that there's been a lot of talk recently about them and bleeding and these young centre mids instead and going out and signing young centre mids to come in and replace Luka Matrix and Tony Kroos and Casemiro as well. And I think on paper, like those things are really impressive. And on paper, Chiamani is like a really good player and stuff. But I think it's I think people need to like stop thinking that people like Modric are completely replaceable. Yeah. It's really, really hard to ever find another top 50 player of all time they slot into your midfield it just doesn't really happen so it doesn't Modric's probably the third best player of the, the 21st well probably of the last 20 years he's probably the third best player of the past 20 years and it's really hard to replace that and you've probably seen it the weekend when Chiumeni comes in there they're a completely different lineup so they are and there's a lot of the things that Modric does that Chiumeni can't do so when you've seen Modric in the middle of the park again on in midweek, you've seen how bloody brilliant he still is when he can play, when he is fit enough to play, and how much of a difference he makes on Real Madrid's performances in games like that. It did feel like, I know I said earlier, I was more excited for the um, the other semi-final, but this was a real kind of high-quality game mm-hmm. in the, just like some of the tactical tweaks as well, like Valverde kept dropping in as almost a third centre-back. Rudiger just kind of staying so tight to Haaland, shutting him out of the game. Was it... it not like a master stroke, but it's probably what I would have done. I'm not saying I could manage Real Madrid, you know, but, <laughs> but made sense. You know, uh, I, like <laughs> I think, but yeah, just to come back to Real Madrid being disappointed. If you got, so if you got to say, you have probably a bit more t- in the kind of the territory battle, you're going to have the better chances. 
Vinicius is going to score an amazing goal and Haaland is going to do absolutely nothing. This is your stage, it's your stadium. You're going to be pissed that it's 1-1 going into the second leg of the Etihad. That is... Maybe maybe I'm underrating Man City in the sense that they managed to hold on. They crumbled last year when it seemed impossible for that to happen. Maybe this is more about the state of Man City now because they have just been this buzzsaw through everyone. They've been doing this for weeks on end. Um, Maybe it says more about them. But you're going to think Real Madrid are kicking themselves. But just quickly, I want to go back to Vinicius. Do you do you think that he's a bit underrated in the in the sense that it feels like he's top five player in the world, but no one kind of acknowledges that. You know, he plays for the biggest team in the world. He scored the winning goal in the Champions League final last year. He's so quick, he's so dynamic, but he doesn't seem like he has the kind of gravitas of these other big stars that we talk about. Yeah, I think I to be honest, I probably put him top three at the minute. I was talking to some of my friends one day about this where trying to work out who the best player in the world is right now mm. and, and pure talent wise it is Mbappe. I think it's I think it's pretty obviously Mbappe in terms of pure talent and the World Cup record stuff they got there. If you're looking back on football right now in 20 years time you would say Mbappe was the best player mm. of that period. But in terms of just pure performances over the past like what 18 months or whatever, I think it's really hard to look too far past Vinicius. There's other people in the conversation. Obviously, Haaland's in there. Obviously, De Bruyne's in there. Both played in this Same game. Pitch, Obviously, yeah. Benzema also in and around there as well. And yeah, Vinicius is one of those guys that I almost think it's because of how big an immediate leap that he made from being a guy who was scoring maybe three, four goals a season. They then, the next season, scoring like, what, 15 to 20 goals? Like, just that... Just because he made that such a big leap that it and Harry Kane was hurt by this as well, actually, when he came through, as you know, where it was that perception of is this just kind of like a fluke? Like, has he just yeah. kind of yeah, okay. well, how's this happened? There must be a reason for this happening. There can't just be he's just this good overnight. Mm. But as we've seen with Harry Kane over time, and as we're seeing with Vinicius over the past six months or so as well, he is just this good now. This is how good Vinicius is. And I think people just need to start acknowledging that. Yeah, I think it's probably Mbappe, Vinicius, Haaland, De Bruyne. And I don't want to write off Messi. I think those are probably the top five in some order. And yeah, I think that's, I think that's pretty fair. I don't want to be the guy who ranks them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's too hard. Um, just to so quickly talk about Man City then on their side, because it looked like they were going to battle Leeds at the weekend. And then they... Made it. They all kind of like playing with the food a little. You know, Guardiola got really annoyed that Haaland gave a late penalty to Gundogan. He missed it. Leeds go down the other end and score. And it's 2-1. And it's a bit like, are they going to blow it? Um, but they managed to hang on. And then in this Madrid game, they'll probably had the better first half, but didn't really carve them open. They just had that kind of the ball in really good areas, but you couldn't quite get through. Um, and then we're holding on a bit in the second. But maybe this is just a sign of... You're not going to win every game, and City have played a lot of games this season, and they 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 kind of have a deceptively small squad. They have a lot of really, really, really good kind of top fourteen, top fifteen players, but then the drop off after that is it's a lot, and you can't rotate everyone. Do you want to know what my kind of hot take on Man City is right now? Yes, yes, I would love that. I think the pressure of this treble and being expected to win the treble is starting to really, 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 really get at Guardiola. You've seen it at the weekend where apparently a lot of City players asked for a rest during mm. the Leeds game. And then he came out on the game on Tuesday night and then intentionally, and it was 100% <laughs> intentional, he did not make a single sob. And they needed to make subs the last five yeah. minutes. They were running on fumes, they were, and he was making a point to those players about playing and playing this much football in this high leverage games. And it feels like, and we've seen those um, clips of him before the Fulham game as well. And he's a way to Fulham, like, obviously, Man City are going to beat Fulham. Fulham, I know they, they played quite well last week, but there was a wee period there where they were kind of not playing particularly well for a while. It's just they're so safe in the league that no one really cared or took notice of it. (laughs) <laughs> but they were going into the game. They were obviously going to win that game. And the stress that you could see, like physically see from him. And I think 
there seems to be a wee bit of tension between him and some players and stuff. We know that uh, Gundogan's more than likely leaving in the summer. It seems like Bernardo Silva might leave. Rio Mares is kind of looking around as well, by all by all things considered as well, because of the rotation. And it just seems like there's just a wee, there's some cracks starting to show there a wee bit in terms of the stress and the pressure. And it's going to be interesting to see how they cope with that pressure. It's a good sign of how they cope with that pressure, the fact that they didn't lose that game to Real Madrid. Mm, I think if yeah. they had lost that game and got beat 2-1, then you might have seen a wee bit of a crumble next week. But because they have that and because they have home advantage in the second leg, it feels like they probably will get through now. But I think that was a really mm. I don't know if I don't know if Demons not losing that game was down to Demons being great by any stretch. I think Real Madrid just kind of did not score that second goal more than anything. And they yeah. didn't for how well Vinicius played for quite a lot of the game and for how well Benzema played for a lot of the game. They kind of lacked a wee bit of quality from people like Rodrigo, who's great at the weekend. Didn't really show anything during the week. And then the subs came on, like Essential and all, didn't really have the impact that they've had recently yeah. as well and stuff. So big missed opportunity for them. And some big bit of a let off for Man City, I felt, in that game. Yeah, it was they were clinging on come the end. Not not in terms of like major chances, but Edison actually has to make one or two saves, and it's not often that Edison actually has to make important saves. So mm-hmm. he's not very good at that either. I don't rate. I don't rate, <laughs> him a, I don't rate him as a shot stopper. So for him to kind of come up trumps, you know, that's, I think that's big for Man City. But yeah, I imagine they'll get through Madrid. I have more confidence they'll do Madrid than they will win at Goodison Park at the weekend. Dwight <laughs> McNeil, man. We're talking about Vinicius Junior as one of the top three footballers in the world. Mike McNeil, though. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. With, like, the best performance of the season so far out of absolutely nowhere. So, fair play to him. Maybe he's top three as well. Who knows? Maybe. Oh, it's going to be a good one for me, I'll tell you that. Um, (laughs) Let's move on to number one, because we have a new number one for the first time since doing the podcast. First time? Uh, Which is actually mad, considering, you know... We've probably had a lot of number ones this year on the written side of things, but yeah. since we started doing this podcast, Man City have just not stopped winning. And it was actually really nice there to just kind of have a wee moment where we were uh, slagging off Man City for a wee bit because, <laughs> you know, there's only so many good things you can say about a football team. It's like, well done, Haaland's class. Well done, De Bruyne's class. But, you know, you you want to talk about something else sometimes. So this yeah. is our opportunity to talk about something else, Sean, which yes. is great. And up one this week, up two number one is Inter. And for a very, very, very good reason. I honestly, I don't think any team's been better than them the past three or four weeks in Europe. I think we've been kind of nearly putting them first for a while here. And then we had the reason then this week. And that reason was, like we discussed earlier, they went out away from home, technically. That's (laughs) zero. They went away from home. And they blitzed AC Milan, so they did, in that first leg. The first 20 minutes, they were exceptional. It was the best that any team has played, perhaps, in the Champions League in either game, any period of those both games. I think during those 20 minutes was more impressive than anyone else put on a show-in in Mm. in this past week. They were exceptional. By halftime, they could have been four or five up. In the second half, they kind of took their foot off the gas a wee bit, understandably, because I think they knew that AC Milan weren't going to score. They didn't have the capacity to score without Rafa Leal, and yeah. they backed a Cherby to continuously keep Jury quiet. And one of the big indicators of when you know Matt Inter are fully on top is when you see Alessandro Bastoni playing attacking mid for most of the game. And that's <laughs> yeah. pretty much where he was for most of the game. He was basically an attacking midfielder. So they were fantastic. It's it's their sixth one on the bounce. This isn't just a win. They've been consistently fantastic the past few weeks. Like I said, they've won six in the bounce. Um, the only relatively bad team they beat was Hellas Verona, and they beat them in 6-0. And you were saying, good sign of a good team is yeah. that when you go out, you can thump a team. And they've been able to do that. And then they've also been able to beat really, really good teams. They beat AC Milan. They beat Roma, they beat Lazio, and they beat Juventus in the Copa Italia semi-final as well. So at the moment, yeah. it looks like they're going to finish top four in Serie A. 
they would be favourites to win the Coppa Italia. They're playing Fiorentina in the final. Fiorentina lost last night in the Conference League. So, you know, there's a big difference between losing a semi-final in the Conference League and, and winning the first leg in a semi-final of the Champions League. We'll put it that way. And yeah. they look like they're going to make a Champions League final as well. I think it will take something really extraordinary from AC Milan to get into this tie again. And when you look at that for a season, you can't ask for much more than that. So you can't if you're an Inter fan. Yeah, for sure. And we were talking a few weeks ago, back when Milan's arrow was pointing upwards, um, what would be the roadmap for Inter to kind of overcome them? And we kind of just settled on, um, firstly, a major <laughs> injury to someone like Liao, which they got, and then big performances from their big hitters, which they got, and Simone and Zaghi just coming up with some kind of tactical plan to outwit purely, which they got. So... Dare we already look on to maybe a final? What would be the roadmap to winning the final? Is this are we? Is this only because they're playing a bad Milan team, or do, is there real potential for them to go into a one-off game, just play to their strengths and play and come up with, come up with some kind of plan to outdo whether it be Real Madrid or Man City, and actually win? Is this are we looking at a legendary into the team? I think there is. I, I honestly, I do think there is a roadmap there. Obviously, they go on to any final as the underdogs. Like mm. it's Man City or Real Madrid, it, it's it is in a lot of ways a big step up. So it is from playing AC Milan in the semi final, but there is a roadmap there. Look, I think we've we've talked about it before. A lot of Inter's run up until this point has been playing teams at the right time. They played yes, Benfica yeah. at the right time. They they just lost to Porto. They went out and played Benfica, and when Inter weren't in a great run of form, went out and beat them out in Lisbon. And then this week, then they come up against Milan, and lo and behold, their best player is out injured, and they capitalize on it. And it feels like you know, the, with the amount of luck that they've had as well on their side, there is that whole thing that you get a lot in English media of like it's written in the stars, it's meant to be, and stuff like that. Mm, there, yeah. there's a wee bit of an undercurrent of that with the center team, and also peppered on top of that is the amount of talent in the team. I think it, one one player who deserves a lot of credit who I don't think will ever get a lot of credit from a lot of people because of the World Cup and that's Lautaro Martinez. Yes, he was not mm. good at the World mm. Cup. That's fine. But that doesn't mean that right now he's not good. It's the same thing that I think Higuain had an issue with and you know how much I love Higuain. <laughs> yeah. Higuain for context, Higuain is one of my favorite footballers of all time. And I know that sounds mental but I love him. Um, he was one of those players that got tarnished because of the World Cup performances. Yeah. Lotaro has a bit of lot about him right now, but the fact is he's been fantastic recently. He was really, really great in midweek as well. That wee dummy he had for the second goal, fantastic. Mm. There's not many other players um in Syria in particular who can do things like that. He's one of those guys. That's the reason he's in the number 10. That's the reason why he's the captain. And when he's playing well, and one of the big keys as well is when Chahonagli's playing well as well. He was I thought he was very, very impressive again. The team kind of live or die on those two players and their performances. And if them two players are playing well, then the sky's the limit for the center team. The issue has been that there has been points in this season when them two haven't played well and they've looked like quite an ordinary team. But when they do play well, they're a match for anyone. And if they can carry on this form until the end of the season, if they do make the Champions League final and they're putting in performances like the one we've seen at the weekend, like the one we've seen in midweek in a final then it's entirely possible to do win it. Yeah, just to talk about those two players a little bit more. Um, Lataro now properly looks like the long line of Argentine strikers in that mould. You know, Tevez, Uruguero's, even Alvarez right now at the same time. You know, these, these all-round bullish forwards who can do anything, who have this great mix of kind of power and agility and flair and just this ingenuity that they... It feels like he could have done anything. I think there's a chance in the second half where he kind of bundles his way through to goal and he kind of gets cut out the last by Kier, I think was what happened. Um, but he just looked so dangerous wherever he was. And you're right, the dummy for the second goal was really great. It was a real piece of tactical genius on Inter's part. And then Chalonolu, who I completely forgot, if Inter gets to the final, he'll be playing a home final in Istanbul, in Turkey. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he so, will. Yeah. Maybe a bit of extra motivation for him. Yeah, he'll have a neutrals on his side anyways. Because yeah. he'd be the only Turkish player in the final, I would imagine. Yes, yeah. yeah. He would, yeah. 
And yeah, he's been fantastic recently. Uh, I'm sure you've seen his goal against um, Hellas Verona recently. Yeah. The way he yeah. strikes the ball is incredible. It's one of those ones as well with Emmons where even when things aren't particularly going their way a lot of times, they have, and you've seen it in midweek, they have Jekko up front, they have Lukaku on the bench, they have a Cherby at the back, they have Bastoni at the back, they have these big physical, they've Skriniar as well, they have mm. DeVry coming off the bench, they have these big physical players that when you have a player like Chahonoglu in your team, then set pieces, no matter what, if they get a set piece, a lot of times you would back them to score because of the quality they have there and the physicality that they have in the box. So it feels like they always have a chance when he's on and when he's playing well. So he does because of that. For sure. And they, like you said, Lukaku still kind of getting up to speed, but he's been really good in recent weeks. But then Dzeko comes in. Really beautiful goal. Kind of, I know it was, it was sad for your boy Devon in Calabria, but not really much more you could do without fouling him in that situation. Yeah, it was just great. It was just great forward play. That's what it was. It was just, it was just it, fantastic how, forward play. How old is Dzeko now? 35? 37. Yeah, 37. And yeah. there's just good kind of get his leg up like that and direct the ball into the top corner like that. It's just stunning. A- oh, I couldn't get my leg up that high now, and I'm 28. <laughs> He's done that's, why that's why you're finished, Jack. That guy on Twitter I told you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's one of those guys. Um, I think he's he's worth a wee conversation because yeah. he's someone we were talking about underrated players in Vinicius Junior. And you know, when you look at Jekyll's career over the past like fifteen years or so, he's always been there thereabouts as one of the better strikers in the world. And it's mm. something that we talk so much about career highs. We talk about like Hald at the minute scoring all these goals in this season. And we talk about these things a lot, but there's a lot to be said for just a striker who is as consistent as Jekyll. And when you're looking at the list of, say, you're going to make a list of the best strikers since 2010, he's definitely in there. So he is. He's definitely in that conversation. Yes, he's not in the first five, might not be in the first 10 that you think of, but he's definitely there somewhere. He's definitely one of the, the better strikers of the past long, how many years? Yeah, even before 2010, he won the title with Wolfsburg in 99. Yeah, yeah. And he was the great. best he's player in Germany three at that time as well. Yeah. And he was fantastic. And he's he's always it's one of those ones like I was saying, like about those big career high number seasons. He always he thought he will have those every once in a while, but mm. you always know you're gonna get probably at least fifteen goals a season out of him. And then you also on top of that get the hold up play and the ball that he hit him when things maybe aren't going well. You can just yeah. whack a ball up to him and he'll probably control it and take it down and play some of the feet. And he's always had really good relationships with a lot of strikers over the years. He had a really good partnership with Aguero. Yeah. He has a really yeah. great partnership with Lotaro at the minute as well. And it feels like he's the type of guy that I know there's probably not many teams in the world that if you gave them the opportunity to sign out in Jekyll, even today, that they probably would take it. They probably mm. would. Yeah, I'd probably take him for sure. Um, yeah, so would I for definite, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, any more on Inter? I think we wax loco pretty much everyone. Yeah, I think I'm too nice to enter. I hope they lose next week so they can play <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're good. Okay, so we'll quickly move on to some of the teams that we're keeping an eye on. Um, definitely the teams in the Europa League semi-finals. It does yep. look like Roma are going to do by Leverkusen, our boys who keep failing when they go and get stuff again. But I know. I very, very by Leverkusen. Yeah. Um, I do expect that. I completely think. I think Roma are the favourites to win the Europa League. They've they're floundering a bit in Serie A, but they still have that kind of big game nows under Mourinho, particularly at the Olympico, which is why which what made kind of Inter's win there a few weeks ago so impressive. Yeah, yeah, and they have match winners. They have mm. players who can win you games and win you big games. The ball has won plenty of big games throughout his career, yeah. and he's the sort of guy who will come up trumps them when they need him to, as he did yeah. in the quarterfinals as well. Yeah. Also, Sevilla, who drew drew 1-1 at your Juventus last night. Completely, thoroughly outplayed them as well. <laughs> Should have been about 3-0 up at halftime. Like, honestly, Juventus are really, really bad. <laughs> Sevilla, <laughs> Sevilla were very good as well, to be fair. They actually were very, very good. Um, the Andre Dios Campos is a bit of an issue. I don't know how long he's going to be out for mm. or whatever, but he came off at about the 40th mark on Thursday night. So, bit of a concern there, but Performance levels didn't drop too much after that, to be honest. They were still in 
relative control and even in the second half when Juventus had a lot of the ball, they were kind of they were happy enough. Um, they let them have the ball and restrict them to not having any chances. Apparently, I seen a stat today that the first real clear cut chance that Juventus had was in the 96th minute, the one they scored with Gatti. And that, that tells you a lot about how well Sevilla played and also how yeah. badly Juventus played. So we're keeping an eye on Sevilla. We're keeping an eye on Roma. Um, it will take something extraordinary for us to keep an eye on Juventus, I would imagine, anytime <laughs> soon. <laughs> if you get through now, it'd be impressive. Sevilla on a really good run. I think one loss in about nine or ten matches, I think, now. Yeah. Really, really good. Um, good and they've got Eric Lamella and Brian Hill. So what more do you need? <laughs> what um, and then the other team that we're keeping an eye on, Liverpool who have really fought their way back into the top four race somehow, six wins in a row, unbeaten in eight. I don't think they're going to have enough to get past United or Newcastle, but it's completely in play, and they did this um, a couple of seasons ago, so it would not shock me in the slightest if they somehow wormed their way into the Champions League. Yeah, I think they. I don't think there's an expectation at Liverpool at all that they're going to do it. It just feels like they've ended up in this position out of nowhere, basically. Because yeah. it feels like even... This this run of six ones has come when Klopp's clearly started to make some tactical changes in mind for next season and trying to work yeah, some things yeah. out with the team. And it just so happens that some of those things have started to pay dividends immediately. Um, the main ones being Cody Gagbo as a false nine and mm. Trent as the inverted wing back. It's going to be really interesting to see how that looks moving forward. But good, good. Good stepping stones for next season. Good foundations put in place, and it's going to be really interesting to see what they do in the summer with centre mids, mm. like we were talking about earlier. Yeah, you just think you add a couple of more dependable midfielders to that. Um, even guys that got at the moment, like Curtis Jones, has really stepped up in recent weeks. So you think mm-hmm. if he's yeah. if he's something, then that kind of helps in that regards with rotation. Um, I still don't trust Fabinho or Henderson in the long term. Um, I probably want another defender in there as well because that's still an issue. But yeah. Lots of good signs for Liverpool. Um, I think that's it for this week, then. I think we're done. Yeah, I think, mm-hmm. I think we're done. Yeah, Slightly shorter this week because we didn't talk about two teams, but also not so much shorter than I was, <laughs> I was expecting it to be slightly shorter, but there we go. We all, we uh, always, still we always still no more zero minutes from Matt Doherty last week, but you never oh, know. No. Yeah. They, got, they, got, they got Elche this weekend who are bottom and already down, so you might get some minutes there. So we'll keep yeah, it sounds like Matt Doherty's level. That sounds like Matt level. <laughs> yeah, I'll keep an eye on that. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Um, if you haven't subscribed and left a rating yet, please do. It helps us a lot. And we will see you on the other side of the Champions League semifinals. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.